0: So, <laughs> this evening, <coughs> we consider the final uh, Parsha of Chumash Baratius. Uh I can't remember how it was in other years, but Barat- seems to have gone by uh, pretty quickly this year. Uh, before we look around, it's already Vayechi. And <coughs> there's a well-known comment of Rashi on the opening... Uh, pasuk Va'yichii. So, of course, Va'yichii to read the pasuk Va'yichii Yaakov Eretz Mitzrayim shavas So Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim for seventeen years, <coughs> um, and the pasuk then tallies his years. What were the the years of Yaakov? sheva shanim va'arba'im umas shana, hundred and forty-seven years. And <coughs> Rashi's uh, initial comment on the Parsha, interestingly, is not on anything that the posok says, but actually on the way that it's uh, presented in the Torah. By which we mean, generally speaking, a new Parsha in, in the Torah will have a new section. Uh, at the very least, will have a new paragraph. As we know, the Torah is divided into paragraphs, and a new Parsha will begin with a new paragraph. <coughs> an exception to the rule, not the only exception, but an exception to the rule is Parsha's Vayichi. If you'd ever look at, in a, a Sefer Torah, you'll see that the beginning of Vayichi, it actually is, continues on from the end of Vayigash in, on the same line, in fact. One, one wouldn't know from uh, looking at the words Vayichi Yaakov, that uh, we're dealing with a new Parsha. And this is something that Rashi addresses. <coughs> it's interesting that Rashi considers this to be um, attention-worthy in terms of Rashi's perish on the Torah. After all, Rashi's job is to explain the Pshat. The Pshat of Vayechi doesn't change just because it's, on, it's not on a new line or not in a new paragraph. <coughs> Nonetheless, Rashi feels that uh, this is something that uh, needs to be addressed. And it's his opening comment, Lama Parsha zustuma. Why is this section closed off? And, and we understand when he says by closed off, it means, as we said, it doesn't start on a new line or in a new paragraph. It's uh, just a continuum from, from, the, uh, from the preceding sentence on the same line. Le Fee because uh, since or as soon as Yaakov, once Yaakov had passed away, Nistemu Einehem Velibam Sha Yitzroel Mitzoras <coughs> HaShibud She's Leshabdom. Because it reflects the state of the Jewish people. Once Yaakov had passed away, the troubles began. Zoras HaShibud, the troubles began. And that, that is reflected in a blockage, what's called nistemu eineihem velibam shel Yisrael. The eyes and the heart of Yisrael were, were blocked up, meaning it was, it was uh, difficult for them. <coughs> that blockage that took place within the Jewish people, within the eyes and the heart of the Jewish people, is reflected in a blockage, a stopping up of the beginning of Parshas Vayechi. So it's an amazing way to, uh, to communicate an emotional state through the use of space or the lack thereof here. Closing up that space within the Torah <coughs> reflects the constriction of, of, of emotional uh, space within the Jewish people as a result of the Shebud, as a result of the difficulties that began. And Mefarshim raised uh, two questions. A very well known Rashi. The first question is, <clears throat> what exactly are we to make of this expression? Their their eyes and their heart became blocked up. It, it's not a standard way for a person to to describe how they're feeling, even if they're being afflicted. Now, they'd probably use uh, maybe their hearts were broken, or or, or their eyes were teary. But t- to say that their eyes and their and their hearts were blocked up that that's not a, a, a a way of referring to emotional damage that we normally find in other times of persecution. So what does it mean here? <coughs> Additionally, as Mepharshim already point out, Rashi himself will tell us in a couple of weeks time in Parshas Vaera that the subjugation of the Jewish people did not start until the last of the Shvatim had passed away. The last of the Shvotim to pass away was Levi, and that was a good long while after Yaakov had passed away. So we have before us what seems to be a, a contradiction. Even in our parsha, Rashi is telling us that troubles began as soon as Yaakov passed away. Kevin shenifta Yaakov tzoras In parshas Ve'eira, Rashi tells us the shibud did not begin until the last of the Shvatim passed away. How are we to to reconcile all of this? Rub Shimon Schwab, in his sefer, Mayan Besa Shoeva, he has, I I believe, a very uh, profound understanding, explanation of this comment of Rashi. The truth is, and of course, without even needing to put it in historical context, what he was a witness to and living in the times of, etc., but... The Shibud itself, the subjugation it's, itself, the actual enslavement and persecution per se of the Jewish people, that wouldn't happen for a while. That didn't happen until uh, the last of the Shvatim had passed away, uh, numerous decades after Yaakov. However, persecution and subjugation do not begin spontaneously and they cannot be contained in a vacuum they need a certain climate in order to sustain them they're brought on by certain attitudes by certain feelings which take root and then fester and develop until things that might have been unthinkable years prior all of a sudden are are commonplace and and uh almost to be expected. And this begins with the, <clears throat> not yet persecution, but as more of a, of, a, of a vilification or denigration um, of, of uh, the Jewish people. And enough of that, as we know, I mean, we're talking about it countless times in history, we're describing the same thing. It begins with a portrayal. That's why words are so important. We always say, Iniquity should close its mouth, because iniquity begins with a mouth. It begins by by, by what you say about the Jewish people. That is a a direct line to what is then allowed to happen to the Jewish people. And that takes time. That climate was already beginning with the passing of Yaakov. And in fact, Rashi is very precise in his terminology, because... In Parshas Vaera, he says that the Shibud did not begin, the subjugation didn't begin until the last of the the Shvatim passed away. In our Parsha, Rashid doesn't talk about the beginning of the subjugation, not the beginning of the Shibud. He talks about Tsoras HaShibud, the difficulties of the subjugation, the Tsoras that begin, (coughs) that usher it in, so to speak. It was a new era. After Yaakov passed away, it was a new era. And because it was a new era, it certainly deserves to be a new Parsha. It's literally a new chapter in the history and experiences of the Jewish people. It's not the same as when Yaakov uh, was alive. It's a, new, it's, a new, it's a new order. However, the chapter isn't on a new line. The new Parsha is not in a new line. Indicating what? That you can't tell. You can't tell that a new chapter has begun. What does that represent? It represents, says Reb Schwab, (coughs) the Jewish people's unwillingness to recognize that things were changing. They wanted to keep life even post the passing of Yaakov Exactly the same as it was when he was alive. It's still a continuation of Vayigash. <coughs> what are they to make of all of the warning signs? What are they t- to make of all of the places they can no longer go? Things that are being said about them? Accusations that are being hurled? And, and, and uh, offenses that are allowed to, be, to, to, to let go? What are they, t- they to make of all that? Doesn't that signal a new chapter? Says Schwab, it's only natural to refuse to recognize. It's very, very difficult to come to the recognition and the realization that everything is changing and it's not going to go back. It's much easier to, to take uh, each incident as it comes and put it down to an, an, something that's isolated or peripheral or meaningless or temporary. That process <coughs> is called... Nistemu Enahem velibam shall you The eyes and the hearts of the Jewish people were blocked up. Mitsoras Hashibud says Shimon Schwab. When it says their eyes and their heart was, was blocked up from, from the, the difficulties <coughs> Pardon me, it doesn't mean it's not a description of the damage they sustained as a result of those difficulties. This is not trauma from the difficulties. It's denial of the difficulties. In other words, their eyes are blocked up so, so as to, en- to not enable them to see. <coughs> and their heart is blocked up so as to not enable them to feel. And, and, and therefore, we see a perfect now correspondence between their emotional state of refusing to recognize that this was a new chapter and the Torah actually refraining from beginning it as a new chapter, that, that corresponds to the lack of recognition that a new chapter had actually become. <clears throat> as I said, in hindsight, we're all wise, a very agonizing thing to talk about, but uh, if we, when we understand that Yitzhi mitzrayim is the root exile experience for, for all of our exiles, so it's important to be able to identify many things that would sadly become uh, symptomatic, uh, of later exiles already in in this early, this early formative experience. <coughs> so that's with regards to the the opening Rashi and VaYechi. As we know, moving on to happier things, there are uh, blessings uh, in the parsha. Before we even get to the blessing of the of Yaakov's twelve sons, there's already blessings for Manasseh and Ephraim. And let us see. <clears throat> a couple of those psukim, and through that uh, we'll gain a lot of insight into uh, perhaps even a bit of a surprise in Loshana Kodesh uh, in a very simple matter. And we refer to Perik Memches, Pasuk yud Perik Memches, Pasuk Yud-Dalad. The brachos the of Menashe and Ephraim. As we know, Menashe and Ephraim were about to receive... Um, Special status to be upgraded, quote unquote, to uh, tribe status. <coughs> and you have the famous situation with Manasseh and Ephraim. Yosef naturally feels, right, Manasha Men- is the firstborn, he puts him at Yaakov's right. Ephraim is the, is the younger one, he puts him at Yaakov's left. Yaakov has other plans as the Possuk delineates. In Perik. Memches pasuk Yodalud. VaYishlach <coughs> Yisrael Yemino. Yaakov sends forth his his uh, right hand. VaYoshes al rosh Ephraim, and he puts it on Ephraim's hand. VeHuat zair, he's the younger. Menashe. He puts his left hand on Menashe. Sikeles Yadav. He switches his hands around. Ki Menashe for Menashe is the firstborn, so we know we know the scene. We know the we know the pasuk. <coughs> Menashe is at his right, Ephraim is at his left. But he switches his hands, giving the right to Ephraim and the left to Menashe. What's very interesting is, and what catches the attention of the of of many Mefarshim, is the word key in the verse, because if we look again. At the final phrase, it says, He switched his hands. Because Menashe is the firstborn. Now the word ki is normally meant to explain something. But Menashe being the firstborn means he should naturally get the right hand. If there may be for some reason that that you wish to give the right hand to someone else, that that can be. But the the reason for that must be something other than the fact that Menashe is the firstborn. (coughs) Because him being the firstborn is the reason he should get the right hand. So how can the Pesach say, Yaakov switched his hands, he didn't give Menashe the right hand, because Menashe is the Bechor. That's that's zigzagging. uh, It doesn't go in a straight line. So, a, a simple shayla. Yeah. And in fact, <coughs> and there are numerous uh, answers to this, but it's important to note it because it's easy to read the pasuk Sike yadav ki without realizing <coughs> that the, the reason that you gave is the reason not to switch. Not yes to switch. Rabbeinu Bachia has quite a surprising comment to make. On this uh, word "key," and that is says Rebbeinu Bachia, there is another meaning of the word of the Hebrew word "key." <coughs> we normally translate the word "key" as "because" or "for." Uh, if you're if you're familiar with the Gemara, there are actually four different interpretations of the explanations of the word "key." What Rebbeinu is about to say it is none of them. He cites a tradition that one of the explanations <coughs> of the word key is af alp. Key is can mean sometimes because generally means because, it could mean when, it could mean if, and sometimes it could be even though. Even though key equals af p. In our pasuk, when the, when it's and here's an example when it says Yaakov switched his hands ki Menashe ki it's to be translated as he switched his hands af al pi she Menashe Even though Menashe is the bechor and should get the right, no, Yaakov switched his hands. And indeed, says Rabbi Bachia, moving from the chumash to the Siddur, <coughs> this is the meaning of what we say in the Shemona Asrei. Selach avinu. <in Hebrew> we ask Hashem for forgiveness. Why should He forgive us? <speaking in Hebrew> because we sinned. Now, you know, th- there's room to say that, that one perhaps should look for a, a backup reason from being forgiven, just in case this one doesn't work. Because as reasons go, it's, it's, it's not very convincing. <coughs> Please forgive us. Why should I, why should, Hashem says, why should I forgive you? Because we've sinned. And, I mean, is, is there anything else you want to say? Or, or is, it, is it all self-explanatory? It's an interesting china. And again, we say these words. Hardly a compelling argument. <clears throat> and that's why Rabbi Bachir says, the same is true, uh, what we just said now, in the Nusach of the Tefillah. Slach avinu means forgive us even though we've sinned. Afalpi shechatanu just like ki menashe and mechal lana kifashano." even though, nevertheless, please forgive us. So it's amazing. <coughs> you start with the parshanut discussion in the weekly uh, Torah reading. And before you look around, you're in your Siddur, you're in the Shemona Yisrei, and it sheds light on that as well. Now, the truth is that this <coughs> tradition, that the word key, the Hebrew word key, can mean athalpi, even though it precedes Rabbeinu Bachya, it's actually to be found in a couple of places in the writings of the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra is accepting and endorsing of this approach. <coughs> Where do we find this? <coughs> in Tehillim. Ibn Ezra, in his commentary on Tehillim, it's a pasuk that we say in slichos. Laman shimcha Hashem, v'solacht forgive our sin, Kiravhu, because it's great. And, and as we can appreciate, you have exactly the same issue. <coughs> Please forgive our sin. Why should I forgive it? Because it's great. Great meaning big. So so again, but but, the, but but where does the forgiveness come from? Says the Ibn Ezra, citing a rabbi called Rab, Rabbi Marinus, that the meaning is Vesalahta La Avoni, please forgive my sin, Ki Rafu, even, though it is great, though it is great, <coughs> and, and in other words, even though Afalpi. Here already we see the Ibn Ezra uh, accept, uh, qu- quoting and endorsing the understanding that Kikah means um, afalpi, forgive our sin even though it is great, nevertheless forgive. <coughs> and just the final source of, uh, of the Ibn Ezra in Chumash shemos where Moshe pleads on behalf of the Jewish people and I think we, we already get the feel of how the question will go because he says to Hashem It's the laning for, for Tanis Hashem, If I found favor in your eyes Please, may Hashem walk in our midst <coughs> Because there are stiff-necked people and again, that's hardly a, a, a stellar reason to convince anyone to, 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 to be with them. I mean, that's that's the that's the argument for. And the Ibn Ezra <coughs> there likewise cites of Marinus that what Moshe is saying is, "Yelachnu Hashem please walk amongst us." Key even though, I'm o refu. Though we are a stiff-necked people, nevertheless, don't desert us and, and walk amongst us. And so to summarize what we've seen, um, the word "key" in a number of contexts, we see expresses what uh, many Meforshim see to be a, a, an understanding of the word as athalpi, <coughs> whether it's even though Menashe was the Bukhor, even though we've sinned, even though we're stiff necked, and so on and so forth. Now, we should, that's, a, that's an important idea to know from, from the Rishonim, but we should also know that it is not without its opposition, it's not without its opposers. And who voices his opposition to this idea? None other than the Abarbanel in Parshus by Yigash. The Abarbanel says, <coughs> I do not accept that the word "key" can mean even though and pardon me even though the Ibn Ezra has cited many examples which seem to indicate that it can mean that says Abarbanel rather cryptically if you look into all of those cases you'll see that it doesn't really have to mean that at all so that's that's an interesting way of of dealing with the with, with the other side <coughs> Ibn Ezra what proofs, says Abarbanel. If you look if you look carefully you'll see they're not really proofs. He didn't really explain why they're not really proofs. But presumably what he means to say is, and if we just have to phrase things correctly, you see how the, the cadence and the is so important. I think what the abarbanel means to say <coughs> is that the word key always means because. It's always coming to explain something. When we say, forgive us, Hashem, ki chatanu, the word ki is coming to explain. It's not coming to explain why Hashem should forgive us. It's coming to explain why we're asking. Right? It just just trickles just a little bit further back up the sentence. In other words, I'm asking for forgiveness because I've sinned. Um, Moshe says, "I'm asking that you that you stay among us because we're sick, we're stiff-necked people. That's why I have to ask." And Yaakov switched his hands because manasseh was the was the firstborn, meaning <coughs> since manasseh was the firstborn, he had that's why he had to switch his hands in order to give the right to Ephraim. So it's almost if if, if the sentence travels along, if the word key qualifies the end, then it, then it sounds like it would mean afalpi. But if it's qualifying the whole inception of the sentence, it really is an explanation of the whole thing. So <coughs> This is certainly food for thought among the, among the, re, uh, the Rishonim. One wouldn't uh, want to get in between the, the Ibn Ezra and the Abarbanel when they're having a machlokus, But it's uh, certainly important to, to be aware of these, two, of these two sides on this basic Loshan HaKodesh issue. Having said that, I would like to share an understanding of the word key, meaning because, as an explanation of why Yaakov switched his hands. And it comes from from much later, it's going to be a few hundred years until he comes on the scene, but he does in the 1800s, and it is none other than the mitzv of Voloshin in the Hamak Dover. And he says, quite a Chiddush. Again, <clears throat> to be as clear as we can, our question is, the Pasuk says, Memches Yudalad, says, Yaakov switched his hands because Menashe is the Bechor. And our question is, if he, him being a Bechor is not a reason for you to switch your hands. It's the opposite. <coughs> That's the question. The Nitziv prefaces his explanation of the matter by asking another question. A very, <laughs> almost a deconstructive question. Yosef M- has placed Menashe at Yaakov's right, because he's the oldest. Ephraim at Yaakov's left, because he's the younger. And that's how Yosef feel- feels things should be. Yaakov disagrees. And because he disagrees, he switches his hands. Asks the Natsiv, if if Yaakov disagrees with the way that Yosef has placed his sons, and he wants Ephraim to get the right, why does he switch his hands? Why does he cross over his hands? Why doesn't he just switch his grandchildren? (coughs) Why doesn't he just ask them to change places? I mean, it's going to come out anyway in, in the end. That's a very interesting question. I mean, dare I say it, it's, it's a disarmingly simple question because Yaakov does not need to switch his hands over anymore. Just, just just ask him to change places. They're young. They'll deal with it. It's going to come out soon enough. A very interesting Shiloh. And the native gives an equally interesting answer. The idea of uh, Ephraim receiving the right, even though he's younger, that gives him a prominence or dominance over Menashe. <coughs> However, says the, says the Natsiv, that is not in all respects. Because prominence has many strata, has many levels, has many arenas, and many spheres. There's prominence uh, physically, there's prominence spiritually, there's prominence militarily, there's prominence economically, there's prominence politically, in, in terms of scholarship, in terms of piety. <coughs> there's, there's, many different, there's many different realms. And it is not in all of them that Ephraim was given, so to speak, the upper hand, the right hand. It is specifically in, in spiritual realms And thus we find, for example, (coughs) that that Yehoshua will come with him and Yehoshua receives the Torah from Moshe, etc. But in physical realms, again, whether it's in physical numbers or physical strength, military strength, political, economic, (coughs) Menashe retained prominence. Very interesting. So, says the Nativ, the right represents prominence. At Yaakov's right side are his right hand and his right leg. Right? With every child that's, that's brought to him basically meets his right hand and his right leg. <coughs> and the hand and the leg represent these two domains. The leg is the physical base. It's the trunk, and that represents the physical aspect of their uh, experiences and success. <clears throat> the hand, right, which is more a tool that expresses wisdom, and that, expre- and that rep- represents the the higher aspects, the more spiritual aspects. And now says, in it's if you understand. Yaakov doesn't want his, ch- his grandchildren to switch places. In a certain respect, they are exactly where they need to be. Because Menashe is at his right side. Menashe should be at his right side. Because Menashe should be at his right leg. Because in terms of what the leg represents, right the trunk, the base, the, 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 the material base, <coughs> Menashe gets the right. And Ephraim should be at the left. Because in terms of the left leg, he should be there. It's only with regards to these other elements, these higher aspects of, uh, spirit, of spiritual prosperity and success, that's where Ephraim will get the edge on Menashe. So what does Yaakov do? He keeps them exactly where they are and crosses his hands over. And that means that ultimately Menashe, who got the right? Did Menashe get the right or did Ephraim get the right? The answer is yes. They both did, (coughs) but it depends what. Menashe got the right leg and the left hand. Ephraim got the left leg and the right hand. It's that blend that's exactly where Yaakov wants them to be. And with this in mind, says the Netziv, you now understand why the verse concludes, again the words with which we started, Yaakov switched his hands. Ki menashe Because menashe is the bechor. <coughs> says in tziv, the word ki is, is coming to explain. It's coming to explain why it is that Yaakov switched his hands and not switch his grandchildren around. You know what the answer is? Because menashe is still the bechor. And therefore he's at the right side. He should stay at the right side in terms of the aspect of the right that he should get as the bechor. So, it's incredible to see how how uh, his understanding of the whole Menashe Ephraim situation—it's much, it's more, it's more complex—and and, and and when it's all, and after all that complexity, the possek then reads in a straight line. He switched his hands because Menashe is the bechor. That's why he switched his hands and didn't switch anything else. And being the nitziv, he then proceeds to show how this expresses itself as a shadow, a long shadow, way across into Chumash Bamidbar. How so? <coughs> we know that Chumash Bamidbar is, uh, it's called the Chumash of the Countings. It begins with the Counting, it ends with the Counting, right? You have in Parshas Bamidbar, the very first Parsha, as we're, en- as we're entering the, the Midbar, and then just as we're about to enter Eretz Yisrael, at the end, in Parshas Pinchas, accounting again. And all the tribes are counted in both times, and they're counted in the same order. With one glitch, with one aberration, and that is the order of Ephraim and Manasseh. The order of who, which of them is counted first shifts from the first count <coughs> To the second count 40 years later. How does it go? In Parshas Bamidbar, Ephraim is counted first. All the other shvatim are exactly the same. Within Ephraim and Menashe, Ephraim is counted first. (coughs) At the end of the Chumash, Parshas Pinchas, Menashe is first. Who can account for the shift, for the reversal between these two tribes of of, of, Parsh, of, of uh, Shevet Yosef. Says Natsiv, if you've been following what I've been saying, you'll understand why. The difference between the two countings in Chumash Bamidbar, the one at the beginning and the one at the end, is that the one at the beginning is formatting the, the, the Jewish people as they're about to enter into what we could call wilderness mode. <coughs> they're about to build the Mishkan, they're about to... to to encamp around the Mishkan, to enter into that very spiritual zone. By contrast, 40 years later, they're about to enter the relatively more physical setting of the land of Israel. And that being the case, so when we come to ask the question between the two branches of Yosef, Menashe and Ephraim, who should be counted first, (coughs) the answer is the more prominent one Okay. well we now know to ask Okay, but which of them is the more prominent one and we equally know to answer it depends it depends in which sphere in the physical sphere it's Menashe he's the Bechor in the spiritual sphere it's Ephraim and therefore if you want to know which of the two should go first have a look at what type of uh state they're entering into, (coughs) what type of of, of existence they're entering into, and if it's primarily spiritual, so then first place will go to Ephraim, and that's why in Parshas Bamidbar, Ephraim is counted first. By contrast, in Parshas Pinchas, when they're about to enter the more physical realm, so prominence goes to Menashe, because in the physical realm, Menashe is more prominent, Ki Menashe HaBechor. So it's, it's amazing to see how from that, that moment of Yaakov crossing his hands where you already see the the duality <coughs> within the different elements of, of prominence that are taken by Menashe and Ephraim expressed there as it will then be expressed in the numbers hundreds of years later in, uh, over the course of Chumash Midbar. So, this is what you can only really call a forensic study of Chumash, to, to be able to, to look at the numbers in that way, pay attention to all of those details, and, and see the, the themes that the Nitziv sees. So <coughs> these are some words with regards to Menashe and Ephraim. And uh, let us now move to at least one of the brachos of, of the, tri- the tribes themselves, And that is (coughs) Reuven, and that will be in uh, Perik Memtes, Pasuk Gimel. Okay, Perik Memtes, Pasuk Gimel. Uh, Ruven okay so the Pasuk reads <coughs> Ruven Bahari Ruven you're my firstborn kohi voracious only right you're the with fir- the first of my strength yeser se'is the yeser az. now Uncleus translates yeser se ace and yeser as these are things that Reuven should have had. He should have had Yeser Se'es. He should have been foremost in the area of Se'es, elevation, spirituality. In other words, Reuven, as the firstborn, should have (coughs) also performed the Avoda, Yeser Se'es. And Yeser as foremost in strength. He also should have been the king. Wow. Those are Unculus's words. You should have taken t'lasa chulakim, three chalakim, <coughs> three portions. Becherusa, the first, the firstborn, Kehunasa, the priesthood, umalchusa, and royalty. That's ye- Becheri Atar, Yeser Seis and Yeser Az, are all things that, that move in would have had or could have had, but he lost them. And why did he lose them? So the next Pasuk says, Pachas Kamaim Altosar. Whatever those words mean, <coughs> they're the explanation of how he's lost everything. They're a description of how he lost everything. Pachas means impetuous. Kamayim is water, as water, and Altozar, you will no longer have that advantage. You'll no longer have that uh, ad- additional prestige in any of those areas. <coughs> Interestingly, the question is the word Kamayim, is it connected to the word Pachas that comes before it? Or is it connected to the word Altozar? That comes after it. On this matter, which is a very interesting parshanut matter, opinion is divided. Rashi places <coughs> the word kamaim together with pachas, and that means, therefore, the two words pachas kamaim are one expression. You were impetuous like water, in the same way that water races all over the place. You throw it somewhere, it's a so you were you were impetuous like water. Therefore. <laughs> Al-Tosar. You, you've lost all of those. You no longer have those advantages of Kahuna and Malchus. Interestingly, uh, the Midrash comments on this, and the Midrash actually sees the word Kamaim as being connected to the final two words. In other words, pachas stands by itself. Pachas because you were impetuous. And what are we referring to, by the way? We're referring to the whole thing where he, he took Yaakov's bed, and Yaakov had put his bed with Bilha after Rachel died, and and, and took it and put it <coughs> put it um, in Leah's tent, and, and Yaakov took exception to that. Was considered an affront. He did it for the for the honor of his mother. It's a slight in the honor of his father, obviously a uh, very, very difficult uh, situation. But, and, but Yaakov <coughs> criticizes more than anything else, you're a pachas, you're impetuous, you acted impetuously. Therefore, and this is how the Medrash reads the words, Kamaim al Tosar like water there will be nothing left in other words the word kamaim is coming to illustrate that just like if you have a cup of water you pour upside down the whole thing just all pours out that's what's left that that that's what has has exited from you all of these things kamaim just like water there's not there's nothing remains nothing remains for you (coughs) the question is why does ruven lose everything by having done this one thing uh, as if to say, as much as, again, we, we, it needs separate treatment to understand and discuss uh, fully um, you know, the of v'ruven, but if we assume just even on a basic uh, arithmetical uh, scale that uh, you know, one sin should get one punishment, and here he did this one thing wrong, whatever he did, and somehow he gets three punishments, because he loses three things. So why does he lose everything? Says the Kleokar. Yaakov addresses this, if you look again at the, at the words in his, in his blessing. And again, we call it a blessing, you have to understand why it's a blessing. <coughs> Seems to be purely rebuke. The first thing the Yaakov says is, Pachas, you acted impetuously, says Kliokar, and that's why he loses the kingship. Because of all people who, who cannot be allowed to act impetuously, a king is foremost among them. Because he is a ruler, he needs to make decisions, and he needs to do so <coughs> in a measured and deliberate way. And therefore, um, and therefore, <coughs> the the display of of impetuosity of pachas that was so prominent in this act signaled. That, that Ru'uvein could not carry the kingship. And that's why that goes. Then what happened? Kialisa <coughs> Mishkaveyavicha, he interfered with the, with the bed of his father right? in areas of, of uh, marital life, of childbearing, etc. And that is why that compromised his position as the Bechor, as the first among the sons, because he interfered inappropriately in Yaakov and his sons. And finally, he brought about a prof- profanation. As, as Rashi says, <coughs> the divine presence was but was by, by the head of the bed of Yaakov, which left us uh, as a result of this. And what is Avoda? What is Kahuna, priesthood, if not bringing the divine presence closer to the Jewish people? Since Reuven had driven it away through this act, he also forfeited the Kahuna. It's very interesting, again, very, it's harsh. Uh, these harsh psukim are, are, are very harsh, but you, but you see how a closer reading of, of the psukim <coughs> shows how Yaakov is detailing each aspect of what Reuven did as to why it resulted in him forfeiting another of those advantages that he had. In the end, he, 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 he remained with zero for three. Again, as we said, leaving one to wonder what the, uh, what the blessing is. Well, Kliakar says, the best thing is that he wasn't thrown out altogether. <coughs> he still he keeps his, uh, his, his status as, as one of the Shvatim. Uh, and maybe he was the first one to really test case this idea that, that even if people make mistakes, it doesn't mean they're, it doesn't mean they're thrown out. That's a, that's, he inaugurates that type of bracha. And the truth is that there is more with regards to Ruven. Because we know, for all we're seeing here in Ru'uven is, is what he did wrong and what he lost. And, and he kind of goes down in Shevet history as, as the one who lost everything. But as we know, there's more to it than that. Because he also in, inaugurated something else. The, the, <coughs> the Medrash says that Ru'uven is accredited as the first person to do tshuva. How does this come out? Because Hosea, who's descended from Reuven, uh, issues the famous call, Shuva Yisrael Ad Hashem Malokecha. He, Hosea ben Be'eri, he's from Reuven. And the Medra says, he merited to call upon the Jewish people to say Shuvah Yisrael because Ruuvin was the first one ever to do Shuvah. <coughs> Where do we see Ruuvin doing Shuvah? The, the Medrish comments in two weeks ago, in Parshas Vayeshev, three weeks ago, pardon me, Parshas Vayeshev, it says uh, the whole thing with Yosef and the pit, Vayashav Reuven El Habor. The Pasuk says he came back to the pit, even though it never says he left. And that's why the Medra says that part of the message of, of Vayashov is that he did tshuva. <coughs> and Hashem said, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> you opened up the, the whole topic of tshuva, you introduced tshuva to the world, your descendant will call upon the Jewish people, he'll be the one to say Shuva yisrael. So that's, it's, it's also important, it's that's that's another thing that Ru'uven should be remembered for as heralding in to the Jewish people, not just the first one to make such a drastic mistake like that, but also to recover. It doesn't mean he got everything back. There are other, there are other forces at play. But he, but he, he uh, opened the topic of tshuva. And I think if we can tie these two ideas together before moving on to our final, uh, our final item, <coughs> perhaps there's room to say that what enabled Ruven to open the whole idea of tshuva for the Jewish people is his impetuosity. In other words, that very trait, which was uh, so disastrous for him in terms of having the kingship and having the, the, etc. And he lost it. But then he was in trouble, or he was wherever he was, and he decided to do tshuva from a certain point of view chuva needs impetuosity why because if a person would go about chuva or, or consider their state perhaps in a more measured and deliberate fashion there are times when it's possible that that very deliberation would prevent them from doing chuva <coughs> because they might take an honest stock of you know appraisal of their situation and say i this doesn't seem reasonable to me that, I, that Hashem would forgive me again or for this so it's very interesting Some, sometimes if a, person, a person's better judgment or measured judgment could actually be a reason preventing them from doing tshuva and what does Ruven say? it doesn't make a difference it doesn't make a difference what I think or what it seems like I've got to get back I've got to get back and he breaks through with tshuva. I think it's important because the, the midah, all of these, the, these uh, character traits that are referred to <coughs> by Yaakov, they're brachos because they can be used for the good. He highlights how they were used for the bad. That's so the, the, so the, the message resounds. But they're brachos because they're, they're, they're traits that can be used for the good. And uh, I think many people reach a stage or, 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 or sometimes are in situations where their frumkeit gets the better of them because they realize just, just if they've re- made a terrible mistake or done something really that they, that they shouldn't have done. And, and a, a certain part of them, the more measured part says, I don't see how Hashem would forgive me for this. And Ruven says, you've got to be impetuous. You've got to be like water. I suffered from it when I did the wrong thing. But if you want to do tshuva, that's the way forward. Just come back. Just throw yourself uh, at Hashem's mercy and say, I can't explain this against my, better, against my more measured judgment. This is probably impossible. I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Take me back. And that's, that's Ru'uven's message. That's his pachas Kamayim message of tshuva. <coughs> just a final um, discussion here. And that is after the death of Yaakov. So that's in Perik Nun. And briefly, in Perik Nun, Pasuk Tesvav and Kaf Aleph, This is a Tesvav Tukav Aleph. So we see, just to read the psukim briefly, they saw, right, their father had died and they were afraid. They're afraid of repercussions. He's going to do something, he's going to get us back. <coughs> so much so that they actually fabricated a message from Yaakov, from the grave, saying that Yaakov said, don't harm them and don't, don't try and get back at them. And and that was their message to Yosef. And what does Yosef say to them? Pasuk Yud Tes, VaYomer Aleihem Yosef, Don't be afraid. <coughs> Am I instead of God that I, that I would, that I would punish you? Vatem And look. You intended it to be for the bad, selling me down here. <speaking in Hebrew> Hashem actually worked it out for the good. Look, I'm on, I'm, you know, on top of the world, I was, and, and I'm able to help everyone. <speaking in Hebrew> to be able to, to uh, sustain everyone. Don't worry. Don't worry. So, if we would summarize the end of Vayichi, we would be forgiven for saying that it's basically a case of, you know, all's well that ends well. <clears throat> in other words, the brothers are afraid. Yosef says, no need to be afraid. You, you thought it for the bad, but look, it all worked out for the good. And he's, and he's appeasing them and he's, he's comforting them. And, 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 and all, in the end, everything was resolved and everything worked out. And yet, we still have a Masora That there is a concept called dasara Haruge Malchus. Many generations later, there were ten righteous people. We know many among them, Rabbi Kiva and others. <coughs> and it was understood that their martyrdom is as a result of the sin of selling Yosef. And Mefarshim asked a simple question. Namely, I, th- I, th- I, thought- I thought they made it up with Yosef. I thought it was, all, it was all resolved. It was all worked out. So, so why is there still unfinished business? Why is there still this lingering uh, iniquity that needs to be expiated through, through, through our Sarah with? Yosef said, everything's fine. <coughs> and two classic answers to this question, to this very uh, important question, and the answers themselves are important. Uh, as, as, they, as they need not be introduced as. The Chidah, Rabbi Yosef Chaim David Azulai says, Maybe Yosef forgave them, but every sin ben Adam lachaveiro is also, in its own way, a sin ben Adam la makam. <coughs> every sin ben Adam lachaveiro. Is a, a, an offense between man and man, but it's also between between man and Hashem. And this offense was worse, so to speak, than a normal offense between Ben Adam Makam. Why? Because it maintained an element of Chilul Hashem. It contained an element of Chilul Hashem. How so? This is the totality of the Jewish people. These twelve brothers, they, they, they are you know with their family. And as it became known that ten of them had sold one of them as a slave, and, P, and, and, and the broader uh, Egyptian society became aware of this, that's a khilasha. Jews acting that way against, against, against their brother. Says the khidah, <coughs> they apologized to Yosef. And Yosef made it up with them. But Yosef is only able to forgive the element of their sin, which has been Adam l'chaviruf. But the element of Chil HaShem doesn't go away so easily, especially not on such a, a, a seminal scale, on such a, such a, a, a formational scale. <coughs> and that was something that yet needed to be expiated later on in history and that is that again all these as with the beginning of the year also as the end of the year a lot of these reminders that this is from so long ago it's from the khumish from but these are these are our ever present concerns as uh, as as you need to to be aware of of, of <coughs> not only the importance of treating each other correctly. But there isn't anything anymore which isn't instantly known to whoever cares to know about it, and it, it, it can give another dimension <coughs> to all of these things which doesn't go away so easily. Ramoshe Feinstein and it, his words really need to be to be pondered, I believe. And with this, we'll conclude because there was a certain uh, machlokus Torah used to happen to uh, to, to Moshe. He himself suffered quite a deal, quite a good deal. He's meant to be the judge, but sometimes if the if the uh, the, the the party that was had to pay was not so happy with it, he took it out on Rav Moshe. I mean, that's the um, um but either way, there was the two two people. They came and there was a machlokus. It was an acrimonious thing. It was a real machlokus. And then finally, they, ha- they all worked it out and they resolved. And Ramosha says to the offended party, tell him that you're Mochal. Tell him, right? Tell, okay, it's, it's done. It's done. Tell him that you're Mochal. <coughs> and and so, so this person said, uh, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's all good. And Ramosha said, I didn't tell you to tell him that it's good. I told you to tell him that you forgive him. So he said, I said, it's all good. But said, it's not the same. And he, and he, he pointed to our parsha. Because actually the brothers, are they're kind of asking forgiveness to Yosef. Sana right? Please, you know, f- forgive us. <clears throat> and what did Yosef say? Don't worry. You th- it all worked out for the best. Everything's okay. He said everything except for you hurt me, and I forgive you. And that went unaddressed, even within the realm of Bin Adam L'chaveru. It's a big Chiddush. But Ramosha meant it L'maysa. He said it. He told them to do it. And <coughs> and really what he's saying is, again, lahavdu. we're not coming to comment on Yosef, but it's possible sometimes when, when a person's been offended, and, and they, they refrain from forgiving the other person, for, from forgiving them. And and when they reassure them everything's fine, it's to gloss over and, and, and remove them from, from, from before them so that they don't have to forgive them. <coughs> and that's where, that's where Moshe says, if you want to comfort them, very nice. If you want to appease them, noth, none of that is a substitute for, for saying that I was offended and I was upset and I forgive you. And, and, and at the core, it's been done. And, he's, and Moshe said, that's why we needed a Sarah Malchus. Mechila was never given. So uh, appropriate to to end, certainly as we you know about to, to head into not, not such a not such a a, a bright day for us uh, with these important messages both ben adam la of kiddush hashem and chiddush hashem ben adam la to be sure everything as it should be mitz hashem we should all hear basuras tovus Lechlal, or lefrat. I wish you all a good evening and a good week ahead. All the very best.